Welcome to the Rags to Riches show with myself, Terry Blackburn. These podcasts are designed to motivate, educate, and to inspire you to take huge action in your life, to change your life from this moment on. I interview inspiring guests with amazing stories that you can hopefully learn from, relate to, and spur you on to achieve big things. If you want to follow my personal journey and all the different things that we do, please follow me on Instagram, which is Terry underscore Blackburn underscore property. Or on YouTube, my page is Terry Blackburn property. Me, myself, I've been from rags to riches, had nothing. Now I've built multiple businesses earning over millions of pounds. I have a multi-million pounds portfolio of property up in the northeast of England. I am by no means done yet. So please get in touch if you love the show. If you have any feedback for me, I'd really appreciate that. And I'm happy to help as many people as I possibly can. That's what this show is all about. So enjoy the episode. Take care, have a fantastic day, and don't just take notes, take action. Hi, and welcome to the Rags to Riches show with myself, Terry Blackburn. Now, today's guest is a guy called Alfie Best. If you don't know who Alfie Best is, to give you an idea, he has businesses that are worth over £1 billion with a B, not an M. He has assets worth over £700 million. In my own research, he has 73 parks, with over 16,000 residents, has his own helicopter. He has been on multiple TV shows. He has villas all over the world. I think it's fair to say we can all learn something from this guy. Um, So I'm really excited for the show. I think it's going to be full of gems. It's going to be full of knowledge, experience, and things that we can learn from and implement uh, to help help ourselves and help our own careers. So welcome to the show, Alfie Best. Pleasure's mine, and thank you very much for having me on, Terry. No problem at all. No problem at all, Alfie. It's my, my pleasure. I'm, I'm really excited for today to hear what you, you've got to say. So what we like to do on the show, Alfie, we just like to talk about your career so far. Break it into three parts. We'll talk about each part and then extract as many lessons and learnings and key points as we can to hopefully inspire and motivate the listeners on the show. So the three parts of your life would be the start, which would be how you got into business, so how you set up Wellcrest Parks and things. The middle would be the growth part, how you've went from zero parks to 93 parks in, I believe, around a 20-year period. And then the current part would be what your attention is on right now and where you see yourself going forward. So if you can give us an overview of that first part, first of all, Alfie, just on the start, how it all started, how you got into it, that would be fantastic. It's going to take us about 20 years, though, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, a really short and down version. I could talk to you for 20 years, to be fair. But, um, but yeah, me, uh, just the bits that you want to mention would be great. Let me uh, say, look, I, I'm, I'm a Roman Gypsy. I was born uh, uh, as a traveller. That um, some people seem to think that it's a, a bad place to start. And what I would say is, for me, it was a good place to start. Um, it's not what you are in life, but it's where you're going in life. And it's you that chooses that. Trust me, not other people. Um, For me, uh, I started business really at, say, the age of 12. Um, I was working with my dad from eight years old to 12 years old, shoveling tarmac, knocking on doors. And then when I got to about 16, I wanted to be a car dealer. I just thought that they were the echelon and they were the people that had money and, you know, you saw them driving new cars. That's that's the thing that captured me. And that's what I did. I went to auctions. I'd buy vehicles from Enfield and send them to Merthyr Tidfield. I'd buy vehicles from Merthyr Tidfield and send them to Enfield. But what I would do is send four-wheel drive vehicles like Land Rovers to Wales. And when I was in Wales, I'd buy automatic vehicles they're not tend to be used as much and I'd send them to central London auctions because everybody wants an automatic in central London and I did really well at that and by the time I'd got to 20 I bought a house worth in excess of half a million pound I bought a 350 400,000 pound van hire site and um, retail site I had 250,000 pounds worth of stock I was absolutely flying. Because age age twenty, did you say there? Age twenty. Age twenty, well, fair play. And uh, I was making the business was making about one hundred and fifty thousand pounds a year, 
and I was making about £75,000 still trading. So it was a phenomenal success. And the other thing was, I thought I was untouchable. I thought I had a gift. How wrong was I? Because I, at 20, I also virtually lost everything. But I suffered from something called negative equity. And the banks would have foreclosed on me. There's no question about it. But I was in a position called negative equity. So the mortgages that I had in my house, the mortgages that I had in the commercial property, the bank sites, were worth less than what was owed. So even though that was a horrible, terrible position to be in, at the time I didn't realise it, but now I realise it was a blessing. The reason it was a blessing was really simple. The banks didn't foreclose. They'd rather me carry on paying the mortgages. And I didn't have the money to pay the mortgages. So what I did was I moved out of my house. I slept in the back of an escort van. Just to put that into context, I was, I was driving a 911 convertible Porsche four weeks before. Um, the van pitch, I moved out, broke it up into small units, you know, 400, 500 square foot units and rented them out for 80 quid and 100 quid um, a week and uh, managed to scrape by to pay the mortgages. But then at that point, I was bankrupt because I had no money and I was basically waiting on time. Um, and I was like a, I don't know, like a moth in the wind fluttering one way or the other. Didn't know what to do. I'd never experienced anything like it. And that was the um, 1990 recession. Um, and I can only say it will bring the greatest man, it will humble them to their knees when you feel that you're up there, but it brings you down. So from there, I had to do something else because all I was doing was surviving at that time. And I had to find a new business. I had to find something else to earn money. And I had to go back knocking doors, selling tarmac or start again. And I did. I looked at other businesses that were thriving. I didn't have money to do marketing. So what I did was <clears throat> I drove around looking for businesses that just had queues. There was two businesses that I come across. One was takeaway food. that was mostly next to schools. They always seemed to thrive. But they were expensive to set up, even back then, because you needed the kitchen, you needed the the uh, uh, cooking facilities, you needed the premises that were um, planning permission for restaurant to take yeah. So I then started doing mobile phones. I came across them and I begged and pleaded to get a job. I got a job for 70 quid a week. And I worked there for three months to understand the business. And then within 18 months, I had 18 stores. I opened up 18 of my own stores. I then went on to buy the shops from the uh, landlords. And people often say to me, well, if you're only getting 70 quid a week and you had no money, how did you manage to do that with no money? Well, what I did was everybody was in this recession. So I looked at shops that were boarded up and shut up. And I approached the estate agents and said to them, look, I'll take the shop. I'll pay the rates, but I want it rent-free for a year. Some of them, believe it or not, even gave me rent-free for two years. So very quickly, I realised I had an opportunity of having free space of a business that was, that was booming because everybody wanted mobile phones, even though we were in a recession. And I got to 1994. And I then sold that business out to a subsidiary of Vodafone. And I then went into commercial property. But I was already in commercial property because I'd bought the shops. At the shops yeah. Rented them back to myself. But now my client was Vodafone. 
and Vodafone were a blue chip company. So my the covenant on my shops went up, increasing the value of the shops. So I now had blue chip clients, I had blue chip property. I then went on and then invested further into commercial property. And I did that until I was about 30. Business is still going. It's a very successful business. And we have around about 80 to 100 million pounds worth of commercial property across the UK. Um, and I, that, just, to, just to jump in there, Alfie, is that mainly around where you live? Or is that, is that everywhere across the UK? Or? It's everywhere across the UK. We everywhere. only... The old Sheffield Steelworks Kiverton Park Industrial Estate. We own that, um, which is in Sheffield. Or oh, it's not actually in Sheffield, it's in Rotherham. Um, we have our industrial estates at um, Onga, which is in Essex. We have about 120 acres of uh, industrial here in Essex. Um, we have three farms around the country, which we classify as industrial, but they're not they're agricultural. They come under that company. And you don't have any red... I don't have any residential at all, or have you got residential elsewhere? We have residential yeah. property. We have residential as well, yeah. But we tend to have those in central London. Um, we tend to uh, buy high-end properties that are either in Knightsbridge or Mayfair, and um, you know we're, we're building that company. We've only just started doing that. We also own... We've gone on and we own about 17 different companies now. But... The telling thing is when I got to 30, I was worth five million pounds, which was a phenomenal feat considering I started back from nothing again. And I could physically tell you where every pound came from. And that took me 20 years, or you could even say 30 years, to make five million pounds. The reason that it took that time was because I started with absolutely zero twice but not only did i start from zero twice i also was working solely for money a financial gain that was my goal nothing else my drive was just to have a better life just to do better but it's taken me 20 years to get from 5 million to 750 million in assets. I'm not, I thought, I thought about that a lot. And what I've realized is the next business that I got into, which was retirement mobile home parks, was my passion. And I was no longer working for financial gain. I was working on something that I loved, I enjoyed. I was born and bred in a caravan. Who better to buy a park home from than a gypsy? Somebody who's lived, breathed, and ate it. But all of a sudden, the business started to take on a life form of its own. And it was no longer me. It was only part of me. And I have some fantastic people that work with me shoulder to shoulder. And I get to stand on their shoulders and take the credit for their work. Because believe me, I wouldn't be the man I am without the fantastic team that have been with me for a long time throughout that 20 years. Um, without them, I wouldn't be the man I am today. The business wouldn't be the business it is today. But we all have one thing in common. We're passionate about Wildcrest. We're passionate about Wildcrest Parks. And if I gave you one little thing out of that, if you can, and it is difficult sometimes, if you can find your passion of what you're doing, what you love, you find out how to monetize it, and then the business will be good to you as long as you are good to it. Treat it like a child, nurture it, and it is then like a cycle. It will take on a life of its own. You must be in it for the passion, not just for the financial gain. Love that. Um, loads of points I'd like to pick up on that. I think there's a huge point on there about finding your passion. I agree with that massively. I run a life insurance business, something that we're really, really passionate about. 
I don't think we would have achieved the success we had if I didn't love this industry. I'm completely with you on that. Um, can I just ask a couple of specific questions about, um, you mentioned, like, it seems like you've been in sales, you said you were knocking on doors at an early age with the tarmac stuff, then selling cars, selling um, mobile phones as well. A lot of people I find look down on sales. People think sales is a bit of a, a subject or a career path that people, a lot of people look down on and think, oh, salespeople, they've got a bad sort of view on salespeople. Do you find that sales is has been a big part of your success to getting you to where you are? It certainly seems like getting in the early days, but do you think, what's your thoughts on sales and, and how important it is? Sales in a, in, a, in a business is the front line. It's the cold face. Without sales, you have no business. And let me explain, we don't employ salespeople. We employ experts. We employ experts to work within our team to not sell somebody anything, but to advise them, to give them the right information, to give them choices. Because luckily, we're in a position now where we're not chasing customers. Customers are coming to us because we have a good brand, because we have a good company, because they know the story behind the company. And that goes a long way in people understanding the story of how a company got to where it was. Love that sort of story is massive, I believe, as well. Completely agree. Um, also, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's quite a few points I'd like to pick up on. To be fair, I don't know if we're going to have time. But one I'd like to ask is, why is it that you seem to always scale up? Because obviously, I know that while Chris Parks, you've got huge ambitions to go even further and even bigger than it currently is. The mobile phones, 17 shops, I think you mentioned in a short space of time. The the cars, you scaled that up at the age of 20 and obviously made a lot of money doing that. Why do you scale so much? And is there any advice on scaling up or is it just in you? You know, what, what advice would you give on, on that? What I, what I would say is, look, I'm a man that is filled with passion. I'm a person that is blessed at this moment in time. Nobody knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Blessed at this moment in time that I can work on my passion and drive my passion. I'm changing a lot of people's lives by giving them a better life from our customers to our team. So why on earth would I not want to drive that to the nth degree and leave a legacy of history, which I believe I'm doing? You know, when you think that I am the biggest residential park operator in Europe ever, ever. So why can I not become the world's biggest park operator ever? And that's Am the goal. That's the goal. Is that the goal? Amazing. And the goal is to change as many people's lives along the way from my team to my customers to my residents by giving them better housing, more affordable housing, more cost-effective housing, improving their lives. Love that. It's a great mission statement, that. And you're right, it's, it's clear that it's not just for financial gain. It, it, it's because you want to make a difference. I can feel that, you know, I hear that in your voice. Um, yeah, I think that's great advice. I think other people listening to that, finding that passion is imperative, I think, to huge, huge success, um, for sure. Love that. Um, just moving on to the middle part then, Alfie, how on earth have you went from zero parks to 93 parks in that middle part? Appreciate, obviously, you can't talk through all of it, but is there any sort of key moments that really pushed it on or any key highlights that you'd like to discuss or key learnings throughout that growth phase? Success. <clears throat> if we can call it success because we are all students, me included. We are all students of life and we're all students of business and we continue to learn every day. And there shouldn't be a single day that you go by that you're not picking up or learning one thing. If you're not, you're surrounding yourself with the wrong people. Because you show me your friends and I'll show you your future. 
You should always have a knowledge for thirst, a thirst for knowledge that quenches that thirst can never be done. Always look to improve, always look to expand your mindset. Now, you asked me how the, what pushed the business on. I go back to what I said, success is like a ladder. It's one step at a time. Stay focused, look to the top, but don't become dizzy by keeping your neck stuck looking solely at the top. Mind your step, because there are rotten treads along the way. If you break one tread, just step over it and take the next step. Don't step to the left, don't step to the right, because you'll fall off. Don't become dismayed. Sometimes it's nice to stop and uh, take in the view when you've climbed 10 steps up the ladder. But it's your choice if you want to continue on that ladder. And it is a ladder of success of one step of a time. Wildcrest Parks has been an overnight success. Just took 20 years. <laughs> love that. Love that. I love the ladder analogy. I think that's a fantastic analogy. Um, don't always keep looking at the top and watch your step. I think that's a real real great advice from someone who's clearly achieved, achieved a lot. Um, and yet, unfortunately, the world of social media, everyone thinks you can achieve this huge success like that, right? In we, live in a we live in a false world. We live no. in a false world where people want it now. You know, doesn't matter how you get it, you want it now. Want it now. We want to, you know, someone else is driving a car and you want that car, you want a different car. When you've got that car, you need a newer car. Everything is now. And I actually think that that isn't just evolution. I actually think it's implemented. And I think it's implemented by people and companies that want us to want it now. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good viewpoint. <laughs> I agree a little bit, to be fair. Um, that's interesting. Is there any other key, key moments? I know we've talked about the success side of it, but any key key moment in the journey of Wildcrest Parks, this 20-year period from zero to the biggest in Europe. Any key parts of that that you'd like to share that you can, maybe yeah, people we, could learn we've from? Had, we've had our difficulties uh, over the years. We've had our problems and we've made mistakes. And we will continue to make mistakes. We're not perfect. Um, there isn't one in particular that I can think of. Um, but, you know, we get criticised a lot when we buy parks and redevelop them. But, um, and the reason for that is we're buying an old park that's run down. And the residents want it all done up, but they want it to happen with a magic wand. What they don't realise, it's just like buying an old house and refurbishing it. The difference here is on a park, people are living in the house. So they don't want the upset and the upheaval. Yeah, of course. But we've seen parks where they're happy just to sit there and live in the park as it is because it's they've always they've got what they always had. Doesn't matter how bad it is sometimes, um, but it's only when you start to make improvements and that causes you know upset and disgruntled with machines running around and it causes a problem. So yeah, we have our problems and our challenges every day, but I'm broad enough shoulders to take the criticism. You know, I have. Uh, 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 a, a number of um, people that dislike me that have never met me. I have some <laughs> people that you know think the world of me and, and and like me. And when I go there, I couldn't do and I can't do enough for yeah. me. You're going to get the territory, that. isn't it? Yeah, it's part you of know, the territory. Yeah. The people that dislike me. There's one particular individual that's got a hate page on me. I'm really pleased that I take up so much time in his life. <laughs> that, uh, that, that he feels he has to designate one to me makes me feel a little bit like Richard Gere or Tom Cruise. But there you go. <laughs> Do you think you're on his dartboard and he's throwing darts at you? Yeah, I just want to know how many times he's hit the balls I like. I have. <laughs> <laughs> you're all over his house. I can see it now. Voodoo dolls, the lot. <laughs> oh, funny. Um, no, I appreciate you sharing that as well, Avi. Thank, thank you. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm just fascinated by the growth. I'm I'm fascinated by, um, like, can you could you share? 
I don't know, again, there might not be a specific thing, but could you share, is there something that really motivates you? Because I know it, I know it's the passion for the park and doing the right thing by all your residents and all these things, but, you know, on those freezing cold Tuesday mornings when you can't be bothered to get out of bed, and you, but you get up, I'm assuming you get up early, you get up and you go to work. What, what gets you up? And what maybe it might be different now to back in the day, but what advice could you give on that? What gets you up? What motivates you? to continue to keep pushing all this, fear, all this time? Fear of failure. Fear of getting it wrong. Fear of going yeah. bust. Fear of going bankrupt. Fear is, that of, because, is that because of start, yeah. having to start again in the early yeah, days? Yeah. It's, it's a mental scar. It's there. But every man, every person, every woman is born with fears. Those fears can destroy you, challenge you, or drive you, I choose to harness my fears to drive me. Love that. Love that. And that's still with you today, even Absolutely. though it'd be pretty, pretty hard to lose everything now, but it's still with you today. Let, let me tell you something. Nothing is hard to do. Money, remember one thing, is the easiest thing in the world to get rid of. Just for some reason, it's real difficult to get. <laughs> You should write a book, like um, Alfie Best quotes or something. Love that. Um, thanks, mate. So now let's look at the current then. So um, again, I've done my research on you, but what is your attention on right now? I know you've already mentioned you want to be biggest in the world, right? While Chris Parks, is that, is that a goal? Yeah, our attention is this, to reach 100 parks, which we're on track to do. Uh, that will get us to, to basically 50% of our goal of being the world's largest park operator. Um, are, there, are, there are several other goals that we have. I'm in the process of um, recording a documentary film about my life. Um, I've just finished writing a book, which is called Yes, I Can, uh, by Alfie Best on Amazon. Um, and uh, you know, like, I'm sticking to the, to the goals. We're still building property portfolios in other areas, central London, residential property, um, commercial property. Uh, we also now own the third largest motorhome hire company called Varun. We bought that out of bankruptcy. It was called Unbeatable Hire. We rebranded it, bought the brand Varun, added the brand to it, and uh, that's trading away very well. Um, so look, for me, it's about setting goals, improving, improving people's lives, creating businesses that have the potential to leave legacies and move forward. Wow. Love that. It's interesting about the room thing. That's almost going back to where it all started, right? Going back to cars after all this yep. time. That's interesting. Yep. Can I ask around, I'm into property myself, a lot of the listeners um, are big into property, property investors, property developers. Why central London? And what's, it, what's the strategy there? I'm a Londoner through and through. So I love London. I think it's one of the greatest cities in, in, in the world. And it wouldn't matter if it was Birmingham, Liverpool, Sheffield, Manchester, Edinburgh. It really wouldn't matter. It's just that it's on my doorstep. And I love the city so much. I have a passion. So I try to always go where my passion is. Mm. Love that. And, and what's your and what's your strategy, Alfie? Is it are you just buying and renting them out? Are you are you buying them, refurbing them, selling them? What's the strategy? The strategy that we're working to is this: we look to buy distressed or below market properties, and that's difficult in this market. But mm -hmm. we are doing it because I'm trading on the brand of Alfie Best. People that come to do business with Alfie Best know that what we say we're going to do, we do. We, they get paid. They get paid in the times that we say. So, so they're happy. And they'd rather sell to us and take a small amount less because, we, because we're going to do what we say. But our strategy is to buy slightly below market value and then to look where we can add value. For instance, we just bought a flat smack bang 
opposite. And when I say opposite, I mean, you look out the window and there is the corner of the building you see down both sides. The location is just phenomenal. In Knightsbridge, opposite Harrods. Now we've just managed to convert by taking out cupboard space, believe it or not. Um, we've added something like 70 square foot, which is a lot of square footage in central London. Or some cupboards, <laughs> yeah. When, when you're thinking, uh, when you're thinking of £3,000 square foot, that's how much the value of uh, property is in central London, Mayfair and, um, and Knightsbridge. Now, we'll end up with a flat, a small flat, that will be about 690 square foot. And we've managed to turn it into a two bedroom by making the kitchen slightly smaller, bathroom slightly smaller, freeing up some space and giving it a, a, a twin a, a twin bedroom and single bedroom. So we've taken a flat that we paid 1.5 million and we've turned it into 2.1 million. So now we've got value. So we've added some value to our asset. The next value we'll do is we'll rent it. So it's a three-pronged three tier approach. Okay. Would you, would you, I don't even, well, I was going to say, would you refinance it? But I don't know if you're buying cash, you use mortgages or, because I, I did all, that just on a smaller no, no, scale. Sure, no, no, let me tell you. We always buy cash, always. always, but, cash, we always okay. re, but we always remortgage it. But we only ever, we only ever remortgage. Do you want me to turn that phone off? Uh, yeah, if you can knock it off, yeah, that's okay. Oh, what well, if it stopped? That's fine. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Sorry, um, apologies about that. I'll talk about um, uh, yeah, no, we always remortgage, but we only remortgage at the level of what our purchase is, never on our uplift. That's interesting, never on our uplift, and the reason is we want the banks to want us, not us need the banks, because I'm looking to get the lowest rate possible. So when they're valuing our properties, I want to be at 35%. I want to be at 40%, not at 75 And plus, I believe in the next two years, we're going to have a correction in the market, and I don't want to miss any of our covenants. And in five years, I believe we'll have a recession. Maybe four. Again, I've never heard anybody do that strategy of just remortgaging for what you purchase. I think that's a, that's a good is, Everybody is trying to look to take the maximum amount to either reinvest or take money off the table. Truth of the matter is, you need to make your bank your best partner. You need to be very transparent and your bank needs to understand your model. At the moment, that they, they are very comfortable with you and comfortable with your model. And they can physically see that it works because we also will never take mortgages that are interest only. Now, did we do that in the first beginning? Yes, of course we did, because we had to. But the moment that we could allow ourselves to have repayment mortgages, and today, like, even we've... We've, we owe the bank approximately about 80 million pounds. But every one of those mortgages are on repayment mortgages. Every one of them. Fair play. Um, again, it's a different strategy. You're completely right. Most people are leveraging up right up to 75%, me included. I buy everything, refurb it, release as much as I can to go straight into the next project. But at that growth phase of your career, like you might you say it is different and you get to that preservation sort of stage at the end where you, you're paying it off on you. You look, you're at different times and there are different people at different times of their business. And what I would say to you is it's what suits your model, what financing and what funding works with your model. The most important thing is, is to be open with your bank, to be very transparent with your bank and don't ever, ever, ever leave yourself just an interest-only mortgage when you're then into a settlement of, say, 10, 15 properties. That point, because markets go up and markets go down, you need to be able to ride the wave and the storm of both of those. There was no good sailors made in calm seas. 
because they all sunk in the rough seas. So make sure you're prepared for them and that makes you a good sailor. But again, I think that's great advice. Again, it's your, it's your motivation coming back through, isn't it? It's the fear of that happening again. Really? Um, I've noticed a lot of the people I've had on the show um, and a lot of successful people that I know, adversity's played a big part in their career and in, in, in a big part of why they're successful. Do you think that's fair to say about yourself, Alvi, that adversity at the, at the early days and in, in each other and things? Adversity, look, I'd like to... To, to sit here and say, oh, I had a terrible life and we were poor and this and that. I had a fantastic life. I had best mother and father you could possibly ever want. Still alive to this day. My dad's the hardest working man you've ever seen. My mum works as well. Um, would never take anything from me. They've only ever given to me, to be fair. And that's, But we were poor. We lived in a caravan on the side of the road. You know, is it that that what drove me? No, I think, I think there's a lot of nature. I get, I get asked the question: Is success or is striving nature or nurture? And my advice is, it's both. It really is both. You have to have that spark, but you can fan the flame of that spark, or you can throw water on it. It's the environment that you come from. That, again, another great analogy. Uh, it's both, I, I agree with you. It's not one or the other. And everyone's situation is different, right? And um, again, there's just there's, there's loads of key gems on this for the listeners. I hope everyone's enjoying this. Um, just if we focus just on business for the last couple of questions. Um, how many staff have you got, actually, Alfie? Have you got, I imagine? Approximately 400. Um, you know, we've got over 100 at my place. A lot of these guys are self-employed financial advisors that work in, in the mortgage and insurance brokers I've got. And I do find that it's, it's been a steep learning curve to scale this quickly personally and manage this many people. What advice would you give for managing a huge team of people like that um, successfully? Because I, I feel that it, it, for me, it's one of the hardest parts about businesses managing people for sure. Structure is everything in a business. Systems, procedures, and structure. Systems, procedures, and structure. Systems, procedures, and structure. Right, it does. They must, <laughs> they must follow through the core of a business. If you expect people from the highest level to the road sweeper to think for themselves, that's what they're going to do. And here's the thing. They've all got different thoughts because they're all going to think it should be done in a different way. Now, I'm not saying you stop people from thinking, but what you do is you show them the right way of doing it that has worked, and then you allow them to improve on it. Not, this is what we'd like you to do. What do you think the best way to do it is? And there is a lot of companies that do that. And people, we have some interview questions that we use, and there are, I'm going to run through them very quickly. We love, three, love to hear them. We ask three questions and three questions, both, all of them the same. First one is, what is the most important thing in the business? People, person, bank, suppliers, out of those, most people say, it's the team, the employees, the staff. They're the most important. Second, I normally say it's the boss, management. And third, I normally say the bank. And fourth, I normally say the supplier. Okay? So, I don't agree or disagree with those. But my take on it, the most important thing in a business is the team. The second most important thing is the bank. The third most important thing is your suppliers. The last most important thing is the boss or the leader. And the reason, if you expect somebody to follow you, 
They should be following you by example. So put yourself last so you can fight for your team, not first. But really powerful that I think. I think a lot of people, you're right, they'll have it the other way around. One that they'll think, I'm the boss, I'm the most important. That's now, what they think, right? Here's the conundrum. The same questions with the same answers. But the question is slightly different. The question is, what is the most important thing that you pay in the business? Most people say, well, it's your team, of course. Then they will say the bank. Then they will say the boss. Then they will say the suppliers. That's what most of the answers come. And there is only a few that have come up with the right answers for the last 20 years. But it's important that we ask these questions because they need to understand our mindset as a company. The most important thing that you pay is the bank. They're first. Second is the team. Third is the supplier. And fourth is the boss. The reason the bank should always be paid first is because if you pay your team first, next month all of your team are out of job because the bank's repossessing. I quote the money, yeah. Yeah, yeah, spot on that. Whereas if you pay the bank, your team have a future that you can all sit together and be transparent about the problems that you have and how you get over them and that where is their salaries coming from? And if people are not willing to accept that, that work in your company, which is their company, that means they're only thinking about themselves, not the business. They're not a team player. And I've had people say to me, oh, yeah, but I've got a mortgage at home. I've got a family to feed. And they're absolutely right. But that answer tells you everything. They're only thinking about them. Yeah. It's a team event to think about the business. So if the business does well, they can do well. Love that. That's some great advice. Um, do you promote within? I'm getting the imp- uh, probably guessing that you Ooh, probably yeah. do. Yeah, get it's like a family type environment where everyone you look after everyone and you you, you promote within. Is that is that right? Absolutely. One last thing I want to go back to because I feel like a politician and I've avoided one of your questions. (laughs) You asked me, how do I feel when you said managing 100 people is difficult? Well, if you're managing 100 people, you're doing something wrong. You should only be managing five people. Those five should be managing 20 each. Having that key sort of senior team. That then... don't, become, don't become a Zeus management system where it's I'm all powerful and you all come to me. So what, what management team did you say? Zeus, did you that's say? A, that's called a Zeus management system. Big circle. You sit in the middle oh. and everybody comes to you with every problem from the toilet paper in the toilet to brushing the downstairs kitchen because the coffee mug's not filled up. And who broke the cup and who, you know. And when somebody comes to you in your office with a problem, there should be two questions you ask. What's the solution? Did you ask your team what the solution was? Before you even came and asked my advice. And I ask everybody in my team, Never to trust me. Why is that? Because if everybody trusts me, it means I'm God. It means I get it right. So when I fuck up and I get it wrong, <laughs> not quite the man they thought I was. Where if they didn't trust me, they'd be looking out for me. They'd be checking for me. And saying, Do you know, Alfie, have you checked this? It's not quite right. Because I'm not infallible. My God, if I have enough people around me checking for me, that makes me infallible. And my decisions get better because I'm having the right information brought to me. And my my decisions are being challenged on a scale where people are thinking for themselves, is it right? There's no such thing as a dumb question. When somebody says to you, trust me, 
You should ask yourself why. You should ask them why. Why do I need to trust you? You're going to do what you say, aren't you? That's not trust. That's good character. I think that's absolutely, great. again, great, great advice. You know, you're quite humble with it. You've removed all the ego, I feel. It's not about you. It's about the team, isn't it? And putting yourself last in both of those scenarios, I think, is a... Is a, is a powerful thing to do. Uh, I imagine it's something that a lot of people struggle with as well. Is that fair to say? I don't know. I can't speak for anybody else. I can only speak for myself. But uh, all I can tell you is when I was born, the doctor slapped my mum. <laughs> <laughs> I was expecting that one. <laughs> yeah, we'll, walk, we'll skim over that point. We'll talk about something else. I <laughs> uh, love that. Um, yeah, my, honestly, obviously, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I could talk to you for ages, but I know you're a busy man. Um, just to wrap up, the last question I ask everybody is, uh, the show is called The Rags to Riches Show. You'd, I think you've definitely sort of been from, not necessarily rags, I don't want to say that that sounds quite bad, but you've been from nothing to something, um, certainly to riches. And But what does being rich mean to you? Because you can be rich in time and monetary terms and relationships, friendships, but what does being rich mean to you? Because it can mean a lot of different things. Uh, the honest answer is I don't consider myself as rich. Um, there is people that I've been around and very good friends with that money is of no consequence to them. Genuinely is of no consequence because it's, like water that's just flowing down a river and they're that they're that wealthy but if you ask me what the difference of is how i am now to how i was when i was say 15 to 20 the difference that money gives you is freedom and choice doesn't make you happy doesn't make you a better person doesn't make you right you know because that's that's what a lot of people seem to think, you know, because they've done certain things. Good in their, life, their voice is better spoken than most. And that's not true. But what it does give you is freedom of choice. And that does make you happy. Oh, that's a great answer. I've never heard that said before about, money doesn't make you right. And I think that's a really important message that maybe some people, that's why some people get above the station, right? And they get, you know, they think they're, they think they're the man, think they're the woman, because they've got a few quids. I think that's a really, really good point. It doesn't make you right. Definitely doesn't make you happy either. You're, you're right on that also. Um, just another question that just quickly came to us there when you mentioned you know some people who are sort of hugely wealthy. Um, have you had any mentors out of interest throughout your career? that have sort of helped you on or that you've sort of lent on for advice and things who are maybe to have achieved more than you or at the time maybe he's had achieved more than you? I've been blessed over my life that that blessing has become, has, has come because of two things. I have two ears and one mouth and I made sure I used them in that context. What I've, I've been, there's, you know, people like Tony Bly, who owns A.D. Bly Construction, Michael Hunt, that used to own this in the UK, um, Michael Hansen from the Hansen family. You know, they've been uh, very, very good mentors. My dad. My dad has been a phenomenal mentor. Not in the worlds of, I would say, he's advised me on business, but my God, has he advised me on worth ethic? Yes. So never dismiss the advice of anybody. One of the greatest sayings was by Einstein. I love simplistic sayings. I don't like people that make things complicated because they're making them complicated because they want to sound clever because there is a real simple answer to everything. If you tell a fish to climb a tree all of its life, it will think it's an idiot. So make sure, the moral of the story is, make sure when you tell the fish, you're telling the fish to swim. Choose the right person to discuss the right topic with. Don't discuss the topic 
with the person who you want to agree with you. Love that. Love that. Again, that's some, some more great advice. Another analogy. Fish, we have fish, ladders, we've had all sorts. <laughs> but love that. Lo absolutely love that. Um, you know, the best way to kill a big dream is to tell a small-minded person, isn't it? And I think you said at the start, shows your friends, shows your future, all that. You're completely, completely right. And um, yeah, thank you for your time, Alfie, man. It's, it's been a great episode. I've really enjoyed it. I've made like a page full of notes. Um, if anybody wants to reach out to you, I know you mentioned you're doing a book, you're doing a documentary and things. Um, what's the best way if someone wants to reach out to you or to follow your journey, follow what you're up to at the moment? What's the best way for them to, to social follow media is Social media is always the best way. I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook. It, they are managed accounts, but I am on there personally time to time. Um, <laughs> I don't get to answer everybody back, but I have a team of people that work and every message eventually will come to me. But Instagram, I'm on Alfie Best Senior. Um, Facebook is the same. And uh, LinkedIn and Twitter, they're, they're all there. That's the best way. We do, I do have an Alfie Best uh, website page. Um, but like anything, all of these things need to be managed. But social media is definitely the best way. I think that's a tool that we all have now and that we should all use. I agree. It's a future, isn't it? You've got to embrace social media these days. It isn't going anywhere, is it? Let's be honest. Um, no, not. I just want to. I just want to say about your show logo. I'm very impressed yeah. with it. I like it. Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. It's informative. It's direct, and it does what it says on the package. Very impressed with that, and I think it's a great logo. Well, thank you, mate. That, that's what I try to do. I didn't want it too long. It needs to be clearly second you say you know what it is. Um, yeah, no, thank you, mate. I appreciate that. So Pleasure. Um, thank you so much, Alvi. Thanks for coming on the show and take care. Terry, good luck. And I wish you every success and I wish every one of your listeners every success on their journey too. Have a great day. Thanks a lot, Alfie. Thanks.